Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. Today we're going to be talking about how to improve yields in soybeans with fertility, especially today focused on nitrogen. But we would be happy to take your phone call and talk about anything going on in your farm or answer any of your questions. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or send me a note on Twitter, Brian Hefty or AgPhD Media. All right, so in terms of just being specific on nitrogen for soybeans, I want to start there today. I'll just say this. We get lots of questions about adding nitrogen to soybeans. And we're going to have a few people on the show today to talk a little more about this in depth, including some high-yield farmers. But I'll just give you what I usually say for an answer when farmers ask me this question. I say, I'm typically looking for three things. If you want to put nitrogen on your soybeans, it comes down to this. Number one, what's your organic matter level? If it's low, then you're not going to get as much free nitrogen out of that soil every year. We typically say in the Midwestern United States, we can get 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen every single year for each 1% of organic matter. So let's say you had 5% organic matter, that's 100 to 150 pounds of nitrogen that's going to come available uh, basically from mid-season to late season. As the weather warms up, organic matter starts mineralizing, releasing that nitrogen. So if you've got high organic matter levels, in effect, you've already got your soil naturally fertilizing your soybeans with more nitrogen as it goes. Okay. Number two, no soybean history. If you don't have, if you haven't been raising soybeans on a fairly regular basis, you don't have the beneficial rhizobia bacteria that you need in the soil. And yes, you can inoculate, you can double inoculate, but that's still not going to create enough nitrogen for the plant's needs as a whole. So when you have no soybean history, that's usually where we say, you know, it's probably a good idea to add 50 pounds of nitrogen, maybe even 100. And then finally, high yield. If you've got really high yields that you're going for, let's call it over 80 bushels, especially over 100 bushels, it's extremely likely that you're going to need some, you're going to need to add some more nitrogen. Now, the timing in terms of when the plant actually needs it and there are universities that have these charts. So, for example, you could look at Iowa State, and it'll just show you when, during that plant's life, it brings in its nitrogen. But just to cut to the chase, with soybeans, they need most of their nutrients late in the season. So it's not going to be May. It's not going to be June. It's going to be July, August, maybe even September, depending on where you're at and how late that bean is. So anyway, again, nitrogen for soybeans, I'm looking at three things. I'm looking at soil organic matter, soybean history, and high yield. So if, for example, you have high organic matter, you've been raising beans every other year, at least every third year, and you're going for under 80 bushel yields, I'd say the odds that nitrogen is going to pay for you are pretty low. Okay. But on the other hand, if you have low organic matter, you, you haven't been raising soybeans on a very regular basis, and you're going for really high yield, then yes, absolutely, you're going to need some nitrogen. It is going to pay for you. Now, I don't know exactly what rate really depends on what kind of yield you end up with. All right, so we will continue talking about that throughout the show. 
I just want to tell you a little bit more about harvest here on our farm and just some of the things that we're kind of going through, just lessons that we're learning. And this, to some degree, does relate with fertility as well. Uh, But the first couple things that I wanted to mention are these, because I've been talking to a lot of agronomists and farmers through my region that have done very little for harvest so far. And I I even, in fact, this morning got a question from a guy about adding heat to his soybeans in the bin to dry them down. And I just go, look, and this guy was raising beans for seed. And I said, no way. When you're raising beans for seed, you have to be really gentle to those beans. You can't do any pre-harvest herbicide. You can't put any heat on them. You have to be very, very careful when those beans are for seed, number one. But number two, it's very inexpensive to dry beans down. And I, I, I mean, now that we have these automatic bin fan controls in our farm, I can't believe we didn't have them years ago. They're awesome. Last fall, for example, we harvested a whole bunch of beans at 16, 17% moisture, threw them in the bin, and three weeks later, they were down to 13. It was perfect. You can also, with air, just naturally, so there's nothing illegal about this, basically add moisture back to those beans just because of the humidity outside. It's very simple. I mean, there are charts out there that show you temperature and humidity and what those beans are going to be for moisture. Simple. So anyway, I would really encourage you moving forward, take a look at that. At least start with a bin or two, because then that allows you to get started earlier on harvest. And like I've been saying all fall, if you can start one or two days earlier, you have to look at it differently. You have to look at it as that means you finish a day or two earlier, and that's huge. Okay, and then the next thing, on corn, when you're talking about moisture there too, a lot of people have been waiting for the corn to dry down. We worry about two things. Number one how much harvest loss are we going to have or even pre-harvest loss this year there was a tremendous amount of lodging green snap Uh, in addition more disease than i've ever seen in corn and soybeans in my life so when you have all these factors going against you the longer that stuff sits in the field the greater chance it's going to end up on the ground and that's not a good thing so we've been harvesting a lot of our corn so far at 26 percent. i don't really like harvesting at 26 i usually will start at 24 but i'm just saying We are trying to stay ahead of this thing because the other reason why I would really encourage you to at least be harvesting some wet corn or at least consider that for your farm is you never know when winter's going to set in. And we got behind the eight ball last year. I'm not going to let that happen again. So we're already on top of fertility, spraying. Uh, We should get going with tiling here in the next day or two. We'll start with tillage uh, probably the first of next week. So we're going to try to get these things done a little bit earlier than we normally would just because I have to admit I'm a little bit panicked because our water table is so high. So normally in the fall, our water table is really low. If you get a little rain, no big deal. You're out there a couple, three days later. It's not the end of the world. But as high as the water table is right now, we get a little bit of rain, and I'm worried we might be put out for a while. Or worse yet, we might not be able to do the tillage, the strip till that we want to do without creating some sidewall compaction, some smearing, some deep compaction. So we're trying to stay ahead of these things. So again, this year, it's a little bit different where we're harvesting some wetter crop, but as farmers, we just kind of have to be prepared for those things. All right, so we will continue talking about fertility in soybeans, especially with regard to nitrogen right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Using NSERV nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. 
Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We farm millions of acres across North America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers for farmers. Case IH. Rethink productivity. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today in the show we are talking a little about fertility in soybeans, especially with regard to nitrogen. And we are pleased to be joined right now by our good friend Kip Cullors. He is a fantastic farmer down in the state of Missouri, had some incredible soybean and corn yields in the past. Kip, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How's the, how's the weather up there today? Uh, well, today it's great. Uh, these next couple, three days here, we've got 60s, but then next week we go back to maybe 50 for a high every day. But yeah, it's just it's been a tough fall. We had record rainfall this fall to go with record rainfall last spring. So so it's been 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 pretty challenging. How are things going for you down there? Oh, not too bad. That's about the same way. We're at since January one, sixty six and a half inches of rain. What's your normal there? So and you know, the year's not over, but so today we're picking green beans. Hopefully this will be the last day of that little project. And then uh, we're combining soybean and sowing wheat today. Uh, Kip, you cut out on us there when I asked you, what's your normal rainfall per year? Could you give me that one more time? Yeah, so about mid-40s, about 45 inches. Okay. Yeah, see, our average rainfall is about 22, maybe 24. And this year, by the end of the year, we're expecting we'll be right near that 40 mark. Uh, that's what we got pretty much last year, and that was a record. So they've been keeping records for about 130 years up here. And to think that two years in a row we're going to break the record, it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, it'd be one thing if it was one year you know, that followed a drought year. No big deal. But when you have record rainfall following your wettest year ever – 
Uh, that's why South Dakota, unfortunately, leads the country this year in percent of prevent plant acres. So, yeah, it's been a tough time. Hey, we're talking about nitrogen in soybeans and just fertility in general in soybeans. So I, I, I'm just curious kind of what your thoughts are on this, because I had made the comment a little bit earlier that if a guy's got low organic matter, no real soybean history or not much, and really high yields, then it makes a lot of sense to throw nitrogen out there. But otherwise, if you don't have those conditions, you know, it can be kind of hit or miss. So how do you feel about nitrogen on beans? Everything you said there is correct. So above 80 bushels, you're probably going to have to add nitrogen. Uh, (laughs) Yep. It's funny that you mentioned that. That's exactly the number that I used a little bit earlier. So maybe I just remember that from a time we talked before, Kip. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) So, and and then it's it's critical the form you use. And then another thing is, like, you get these wet years, you know, you're leaching that nitrogen out of the root zone. So in wet years, it's even more critical. And you want to always use ammonia form of nitrogen because if you use the urea form, it goes more to vegetative growth, where ammonia form goes more to reproductive. So we learned a lot of this in our green bean production. Uh, some varieties of green beans nodulate well, and some doesn't do any at all. And the ones that does none at all, we have to apply 100% of the nitrogen's needs they're going to have. And like with the variety we grew this fall, we had 1,200 acres this Friday that will not nodulate. And we applied 175 pounds of actual nitrogen. And you cannot do that in one shot. you got to spread that out and Later the season, the, be- the the closer to reproductive you can get with that nitrogen application, the better off you are. The more response you'll see, and uh, and we do that in multiple ways. Our favorite way to do it is if we got beans in 30-inch rows, is we'll go out there with the dry buggy and spread ammonia nitrate, uh, like 3400, or ammonia sulfate at 210024, and that's where we see our best bang for our buck. If we'll go right through there, right before those rows close up that you can't get through there to the tractor and a buggy, uh, that's when we're seeing our best response. Here in the northern United States, there's very little ammonium nitrate use. Can you talk to us about ammonium nitrogen, or sorry, ammonium nitrate versus ammonium sulfate, and if you see any differences there? Uh, you know, we use both because, uh, and a lot of times all we'll do is we'll do a 50-50 blend uh, because we need the sulfur anyways. And uh, so the, the sulfur or the ammonia sulfate is ammonia form, and there's 21 pounds per 100 pounds and 24 pounds sulfur per 100 pounds. And so, like, typically what we would do on soybeans, you know, we'd probably do like a 75 75, not actual total product. So, I'd give you 100, 150 pounds total product. And, uh, you know, we get really good responses. And, like, we may hit them two or three times with that. Uh, probably about V5 be the first time, and then we'll follow that up right there at flower. And then ideally, if you didn't have your rows closed up, which typically we will, we'd hit them right there at at, uh, at first pod set. Sure. So V5, R1, R3. Uh, okay. So ammonium sulfate, I know you've talked to us about that before. And just the extended, or I'll almost phrase it, controlled release of ammonium sulfate. We, a lot of times, will see that release over 60 days. What do you kind of feel like you see out of that ammonium sulfate? Yeah, you will. And that's another thing. It kind of stabilizes. If you're using urea, you know, I always tell guys, make sure you put ammonium sulfate in there with it because that that acts like a nitrogen stabilizer. And uh, 
you know, you really don't even need to put nitrogen stabilizer in if you're running ammonia sulfate with it. Um, and correct. So what your what that does is that extends that nitrogen release out there slowly when the plant's actually taking it up and needing it. Kip, it sounds like you're busy there. Are you out harvesting right now, or what's going on? <laughs> I'm in the middle of green bean field. I tell yep. you, we picked uh, we picked 27 loads yesterday and 24 the day before, and we're 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 supposed to have 22 loads picked today before four o'clock, and I think we're going to make that. You know, one of the things, because occasionally people will ask me about you, and the one thing that I, I say to people all the time is I go, look, Kip's a super sharp guy, but one of the things I know is he's an incredibly hard worker. And just talk to us for a minute about, as off the topic of nitrogen, but just putting in the hours if you want to be successful at farming or anything. Yeah, I, I always tell guys, and it's an old saying a lot of people say, the harder I work, the luckier I get. We picked beans till 1 o'clock this morning, and we started back at 5. So, I mean, that's that's a short night. But we used to raise a lot of spinach and greens and stuff, and, and we'd do that. We'd cut greens or spinach all night long and then get up, and uh, we'd get off them cutters, and we'd go plant corn or green beans all day. And we did that seven days a week. And I heard you guys talking the other day about uh your dad always saying, you know, don't work on Sundays because you need a day of rest. And yep. I agree 100% with that. The problem with that is, is if you're in that, if you're raising a perishable product, it don't sit around and wait on you. Yep. And uh, we had four and a half inches of rain last week, which really threw us behind. And then you guys got cold up there, but we got colder than you did. We were 31 degrees for uh, uh, five and a half hours and it just destroyed our double crop soybeans. And our green beans, we had such a massive canopy over it, it covered it, acted kind of like an umbrella, and we burned all the leaves off of them, but it didn't get on the pods, and, and that goes back to that nitrogen. If we wouldn't have enough nitrogen out there and grew enough foliage, uh, you know, we, we would have been, that freeze would have nailed us. But, and another thing about that is, is, is we was running some hormones with that, and we was growing humongous leaves. As a matter of fact, my field man was down, and, and, uh, they kept taking pictures, and I said, what are you doing? And they said, well, we've never seen leaves like this on these green beans because they're supposed to be a little tiny leaf, and, and they're bigger than my hand. And, and, I, and I laughed at them, and I told them what I'd done. And I said, it's actually quite easy to do, and it don't actually even cost much. So fortunately, uh, we did, you know, we got lucky that, that that happened like that. But, you know, I guess it could have bit us too. It could have caused mold and all kinds of issues because it, you know, you're pinning all that moisture to the ground and yep and just holding that disease there that's what that's i the problem too. yeah that's what i was going to ask you next i've only got about 45 seconds left kip but do you have issues with more disease when you put more nitrogen on and more hormones on absolutely so you need to be on on top of that so we run a pretty extensive fungicide program especially on the on the green beans we'll put a couple applications fungicide on our soybeans it's just standard we do at least one application fungicide, and we typically now remember I'm in the south, so you guys up north yep. may not see the benefit that I do, but typically we'll pick up ten to twelve bushels on soybeans with a fungicide application. Yeah, we see some real good gains as well. Normally not ten to twelve bushels, but this year it's going to be that just because our disease pressure was unbelievable. Hey Kip, thanks a lot for the time. I know you're super busy, so we really, really appreciate you joining us today and best of luck with the rest of harvest. All right, thank you. You bet, thank you. All right, well, stay tuned. We will continue talking about soybean fertility right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
What if surviving a drought began with a microbe? What if instead of 10 buyers, you could access 10,000? What if you were paid for the carbon your crops pulled from the air? And what if these what-ifs weren't what-ifs at all? At Indigo, we're working with farmers to question the entire agriculture system, to reimagine everything from soil to sale. Yep, the whole lot. Visit indigoag.com questions to find out more. Indigo, from questions we grow. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like Waterhemp, Mare's Tail, and Giant Ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on on your farm right now, our phone number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send me an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the AgPHD mailbag a little bit later in the show. But right now we are talking about nitrogen and soybeans and just fertility in general in soybeans. And next on the show, we've got Russ Burnt. He is with BASF. Russ, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brian. How about you? Excellent. All right. So as soon as we start talking about nitrogen in soybeans, uh, where do you usually take that conversation? Well, I like to take it to uh, probably the most critical element of nitrogen in soybeans, which is having good nodulation 
and nitrogen fixation. Um, studies kind of show that somewhere between 60 and 80 percent of the uh, soybean plant's nitrogen needs comes from the uh, nitrogen fixation that happens in those soybean nodules. So if you want to have a chance of maximizing your yield and delivering the most nitrogen you can to the soybean plant, you need to make sure you uh, start off with good nodulation and nitrogen fixation in those nodules. All right. So, Russ, I will uh, just preface my question here by saying we are big believers in using inoculant all the time, every soybean crop. I don't care what the rotation is, but I would like to know from you, what's your advice to farmers if they are in a corn-soybean rotation, do they still need an inoculant? Yes, I would still say follow Brian's advice because I think the, the one of the most basic and best management decisions uh, a soybean grower can make is to, like you said, use a, a good, fresh, effective inoculant every year. And uh, I think uh, especially this year, I think something that a lot of growers might overlook is that we know we had a lot of, of flooding and saturated fields this past season. And anytime you create those uh, anaerobic conditions, of, of uh, saturated soils in, in the field for more than just a few days, uh, the native, any native rhizobia that are there are probably going to be either severely reduced or, or killed uh, entirely. So uh, you're kind of starting from uh, zero if you've got those uh, situations that you've had uh, flooding in your fields this year. Yeah, absolutely. All that prevent plant, the flooding. I mean, there's there, there are lots of reasons why a guy should inoculate next year. And uh, many times when it's been two or three or four years since we've had soybeans, we see phenomenal gains. But I'm just curious from you, when a guy's in a corn soybean rotation, what kind of yield response are you seeing? Now, granted, inoculants don't cost much at all, so it doesn't take much, but what what are you typically seeing for yield? A bushel, two bushels? You know, we've seen pretty consistently over the year versus, uh, over the years, uh, versus a, a non-inoculated with just kind of a base fungicide treatment on it, somewhere around a, a two bushel advantage typically you see versus uh, not using a, a rhizobial inoculant. And you see that pretty consistently, I think, uh, across uh, geographies. Yeah, that's we're somewhere in that one to two bushel range. But I tell guys all the time, I mean, what are you going to spend, two bucks? Maybe if you double inoculated four bucks, it's just not much money, and you should get a decent return. And then, obviously, on any of this stuff where it's been more than a couple years for soybeans, we're seeing a lot of three to five bushel gains there. All right, so any other big tips that you would have for farmers if they're going to inoculate their beans? Well, I think another thing, especially uh, when we when we look at uh, a product like our Vold HP Plus Integral, is uh, a lot of these inoculants do have other biologicals sometimes with them or, or other components. Uh, in our case with the Vold HP Plus Integral, the Integral is an EPA-registered biofungicide that can also help uh, deliver some additional yield by um, giving you more protection to your root system against those uh, root diseases like Eucerium and Rhizoctonia, and also just giving you a, a better uh, root mass and root vigor so that you get more nutrient and water uptake. How about in terms of how long in advance can you have that seed treated? So in other words, I'm going to go out in the spring, let's say I'm going to plant May 1st, how early could I actually inoculate? Um, with with a lot of today's products, you can go anywhere from 90 to 120 days. Um, that seemed to be a lot more important uh, in years past where there weren't a lot of seed treaters and seed treatment equipment. Uh, 
Uh, nowadays, what we're hearing is from most uh, seed treaters and locations that treat seed, most of the seed's going out in 30 to 60 days, so uh, a lot of times that on-seed survival has become uh, less important uh, than it was a few years back. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do prefer having guys inoculate and then go plant right away. But yeah, with a lot of these, basically, I'll call them extenders, you do have more time than you used to, and we still do seem to be getting some good results. Russ, any last comments you got for us today? Um, no, I think, uh, just like I said, make sure that uh, you're including an inoculant in your management decision every year like uh, you recommended, Brian. I know uh, growers think a lot about their corn uh, uh, nitrogen management programs, but uh, and a lot of times I think don't spend as much time on the soybeans and inoculants, the, the, the probably the most critical part of that management decision for a uh, for your nitrogen management program. All right, sounds good. Again, we've been talking to Russ Burnt. He is with BASF down in North Carolina. Russ, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Talking about just nitrogen utilization in that plant, we think an awful lot about legumes and how they can produce their own nitrogen, but they do that more efficiently when they have even some very low levels of nutrients you may never think about, like molybdenum. Uh, nickel is something that's important. Sulfur. So you want to make sure that you're looking at a good overall fertility program, and then usually you're going to have more nitrogen utilization, better nitrogen utilization in that plant. Well, next on, uh, we've got our good friend Rob Dedman. He is a consultant from down in the state of Arkansas. Rob, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. How are you? Excellent. So we're talking about fertility and soybeans, especially with regard to nitrogen. Do you have a lot of the people that you're working with and in your area down there in Arkansas applying nitrogen to soybeans? And if so, how's that working out? You know, there's a lot of people that are just kind of sampling with it a little bit, not not doing a lot of widespread nitrogen applications down here right now. Um, we've been doing a little bit of it, playing around, just trying to find out... Um, what rates are the correct rates, you know? Um, I, yep. I think that's the question that's got to be answered right now is, you know, soybeans naturally, they're being legumes, they have the ability to produce their own nitrogen to meet their needs, but they cannot meet the needs of our desired yield goals. So that, so yeah. we're going to have to supplement that. And, and finding that correct rate between when you have the residual nitrogen in the soil plus the nitrogen they can fix, and then finding out how much we can apply to get those positive yield responses is, it seems to be the challenge right now. Well, I just think about Arkansas. There are a lot of low organic matter soils. You've got a lot of high yield potential. Where there's irrigation, it's easy for nitrogen to leach out. So there are several factors you got there that, yeah, if it is a high yield farmer, I would certainly think that nitrogen's going to pay. But you mentioned rate, and obviously the other thing is timing. So those two, yeah, it takes a little bit of fine-tuning with that to get it right, because you you brought up the key thing. It's got to pay at the end of the day. Absolutely. You know, and there's a lot of farmers that are still, they're still skeptical because, you know, they, they if they go and they apply a, a high rate of nitrogen to get a return and, and they get it, they put it on at the wrong time, like you said, and they create a plant that goes completely vegetative, then a plant can produce more veg, vegetative growth than reproductive growth. And, and then you've created a monster. 
Yep, absolutely. All right. So, Rob, I'm just curious, any big lessons you've learned here in 2019, either about nitrogen or, or really anything in soybeans that's panning out to good yields? You know, we, we've had an excellent year this year. Um, we, we've had several good fields of soybean. Yeah, the, you know, every time it goes back, it seems like that it's either behind cotton or corn where we, where we have excellent yields which in turn leads to, to higher amounts of fertilizers, you know, residual fertilizers, especially nitrogen. Um, yep. The uh, potash placement and timing is, is something that we have just got to be, we have just got to really pay attention to making sure that we're getting these nutrients out there at the right times. And it seems like we're really dialing those in close every year. Yep, awesome. Well, hey, Rob, it's been great talking to you. I'm sure you're busy, but uh, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it. Uh Uh-huh, thank you. You bet. All right, we've been talking nitrogen and soybeans, but we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. If your fertilizers aren't formulated to maximize your efficiency, if you can't mix all the PK and micros your crop needs into one prescription application, if you have to add products to improve and invigorate your soil biology, then you need to expect more from your fertilizer. With AgroLiquid's advanced technology, you can expect more, a lot more. Make the most of your crop nutrition. With AgroLiquid, to find a crop nutrition expert near you, visit agroliquid.com. If you like most farmers, you start thinking about next year's herbicide program right now. And the first step to a clean start next spring is applying Authority MTZ-DF herbicide this fall. Nothing burns down tough winter annuals, including common chickweed, henbit, and mare's tail, like a tank mix containing Authority MTZ-DF herbicide. Talk to your FMC Star retailer about Authority MTZ-DF herbicide, or visit fmcauthority.com. Always read and follow label directions. Authority is not registered for sale or use in California. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. For generations, your family has given their all to create a farming legacy. The fields now in your care are a heavy responsibility to sustain. You can't control when or how rain falls, but you can ensure your fields remain productive by taking water drainage into your own hands with the SoilMax Gold Digger Tile Plow. SoilMax Tile Plows bring a quick return in dollars, but no ROI is greater than a family's farming future. Let SoilMax ensure your greatest investment continues. Visit SoilMax.com to learn more. Avoid the V-shaped pattern of injury caused by chemical buildup in your booms. The Express end cap from Hypro eliminates the dead ends that lead to herbicide buildup and provides easy access to your booms, giving a complete flush between applications. Hypro, 
helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. First question we've got today in the Ag PhD Mailbag is from Mike. He's over in southern Minnesota. He said, hey guys, I just am wondering if you're seeing something similar to what I am out in my cornfields. The kernels are just like mush, like they didn't finish. It kind of looks like heat damage out of the dryer, except it's it uh, hasn't been through the dryer yet. Now, I didn't know if you guys could tell me from looking at this, and by the way, he sent a bunch of pictures here, uh, if if this was some kind of ear mold. The only corn we've picked so far has actually been surprisingly good despite all this. Yield's been about 220, test weight about 54, 55 pounds at 23% moisture. It's just all these dark kernels that are just mush. Well, Mike... Uh, we haven't seen a lot of that yet, but there also hasn't been a lot of corn combine yet in our region. I, I will just say this. It was abnormally wet, abnormally humid this year, and we are seeing an enormous amount of disease pressure out there. So about half our corn on our farm, we sprayed fungicide twice. Normally we spray once, but we sprayed a whole bunch twice where I thought we were going to have decent yield. And so we don't have that much where the kernels don't look good. But if, let's just say in this case, that hadn't been sprayed with fungicide, then yeah, I can absolutely see that there's some some disease getting in there. And even if it was sprayed with fungicide, it just looks to me like some type of disease, some type of rot, gibberella or something. So yes, there's disease there. And I'm happy that you're getting that corn out at 23% moisture, because by the time that gets to, let's call it 16 or 17% moisture, you might have some more harvest loss, the deterioration might continue in those kernels to the point where it's uh, it's really bad. Uh, oh, one thing that I'll mention about that too. I hope that's getting used for ethanol, and then generally speaking, it's not as big a problem. But, you know, we do worry about in a year like this where we have lots of damaged kernels, what's going to happen in terms of the livestock that gets fed to. So if it goes to the ethanol plant, you know, right away we think, oh, yeah, yeah, it's not going to livestock. Well, ultimately everything goes to the livestock because with the ethanol, all they're doing is taking the starch out of that. So now, granted, like what we always do on our farm, I mean, even in uh, even when the corn is pretty dry, we still run everything through the dryer. That helps us clean up some of the the bad stuff, we burn off some of the, you know, really bad stuff and we just end up with a, I'll call it a little bit healthier kernel in the end because we've uh, cleaned out, screened out some of the bad. So anyway, just some things for you to be thinking about. All right, next one is from Lee in Montana. He said, we've found some morning glory in established stand of sainfoin. And if you're not familiar with this crop, which I'm not too familiar with it, but uh, sainfoin is basically a non-bloating legume. But anyway, he said, is there anything short of burning everything down with glyphosate to control that morning glory out in my sainfoin? And a follow-up to this, we do feed this to livestock, which also graze the fields in the fall, and we supplement with hay. Will these seeds spread through the manure? Uh, Okay, so first of all, to answer the last question, yes, 
weed seeds can spread through manure. Now, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people will compost their manure, and then they can, basically with composting, that really heats that manure pile up, and it turns the manure into this state more stable form called compost that's more environmentally friendly, and also because of that heat, it kills off a lot of diseases, insects, and some weeds. So if you're really concerned about that, that's the direction that I'd go. Now, in terms of using Roundup or glyphosate to kill off morning glory, there are a lot of people with morning glory that would tell you Roundup's not very good on it. So if you decide that's what you want to do, I'd be using an awfully high rate. And I'd probably use Dicamba or 2,4-D or something like that along with it just to make sure that that everything is finished off with that morning glory. But here's the thing. Morning glory is not a perennial. So if you can keep it from going to seed, hopefully, eventually, your crop, whatever crop you decide to raise in there in the future, is going to choke it out. But, yeah, there's there's really nothing labeled in this sainfoin, and that's that, that really gets to be a problem. I've got a, another question I was going to get to here a little bit later, but uh, uh, let's see, what was the crop? Chufas, uh, basically annual nutsedge. Well, when you get crops that, I'll be honest, most farmers have never even heard of before, the odds that you've got many herbicides labeled, if any, are pretty slim. And that's um, one of the reasons why there there are some programs out there to get products labeled for some of these small acreage crops. Because with the small acreage crops, like as a farmer, you need an answer. I mean, all uh, all these people with the small acreage crops need an answer to kill the weeds. Well, the big companies don't want to spend all the money to get products labeled. And so that's why they have, I think it's the IR4 program, uh, just so it doesn't cost so much. And in conjunction with universities, some more herbicides can get labeled. But yeah, at this point, I don't know of anything that you could use out there to kill that morning glory. Since it's a legume crop, usually what we think about with morning glory is, um, I would say first, dicamba, 2,4-D. Those are probably about the best things to, to just burn stuff down. And obviously, those will kill legumes pretty easy. All right. Next question. This is from Sean in Minnesota. He says, uh, hi, guys. I watch the show every week, and I've got a question. Uh, oh, watching our TV show. Thank you. Uh, what is the best product to eliminate bamboo? The previous homeowner planted bamboo, and it's spreading like wildfire near established trees. Now, we mowed it and covered it with thick black plastic, but it still seems like it is trying to grow up under the plastic. I, I will say, if that plastic is thick enough and it's black, then usually it, it, stuff's going to die out. But the big thing we talk about with Bamboo is, it's a perennial, it's got rhizomes, and yes, Roundup actually would be the product in this particular case uh, as well. So anyway, Roundup would be what we would tell you. You're just going to have to run with a strong rate. Now, here's the other thing. When we think about controlling bamboo, I think about that a lot like I do cattails. Cattails don't absorb a lot of herbicide. So what I prefer to see is use a low rate of water and a very high rate of the herbicide, the highest labeled rate and the lowest labeled rate of water. So keep that water volume way down. A lot of times we've run with three gallons or maybe even less. And then we're going to run with, uh, you know, like I say, full rate of glyphosate, maybe two, three quarts, whatever the full rate is for your particular situation. Now, if it's near trees, the nice thing with Roundup is it doesn't have soil activity. So you don't have to worry about it getting into the root systems of trees, anything like that. Just keep it off the trees and you should be in real good shape. 
All right, uh, let's see. Next one here is, I don't have a name on this one, but they sent in a question about, they were watching one of our videos on corn, and we talked about planting population, and he, uh, the question is basically, what do you mean by planting population and it being less than seven? What we were talking about there is yield. So if, for example, we take how many thousands of plants we're producing. So let's say it's we plant 30,000 plants. Okay, What we're shooting for, typically with corn, is at a bare, at a bare minimum, 7 per thousand. So you multiply 7 times 30, that's 210 bushel corn. Now, on the high side, we kind of look at 10, maybe even a little more than that, but let's just figure 10 for easy math. Okay, 10 times 30 is 300. So what we're saying here is if you're planting 30,000 plants per acre and you're not getting a yield in the range of 210 to 300, then there's something wrong other than planting population. So, number one, if you don't want to make any changes to your fertility program, your drainage, your pH, any of that other stuff, your planter maybe, then we would tell you cut your planting population because you're overspending. Uh, but the other way to look at that is, hey, uh, there are things that may be within my control here that I can take a look at. My planting population's good enough. That's not a yield limiting factor for me. So let's let's see what else I can do. And I know this year in particular, because yields were down, planting was late, you know, so there, there are a lot of reasons why yields were down. But anyway, we were out in a lot of fields this summer, and we saw just unbelievable uh, tip back. We saw basically conditions where guys are planting 30,000 plus and going to get 150 bushel corn. Well, that doesn't pay too well. So all we're saying here is you got to go one way or the other. If you don't want to make changes to fertility, weeds, insects, diseases, pH, drainage, all these other things, cut your population. Otherwise, keep your population up, make those changes, and hopefully get higher yields in the future. Well, we will continue with the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. Our exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio, just taking your phone calls and answering your questions here during our Ag PhD mailbag time. Next on the show, we got Shannon calling in from Western South Dakota. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Pretty good. How's it going, Brian? Uh, it's going pretty good. So I hear you've got some odd num an odd number of kernels on a corn cob. Well, so we're not from corn country, of course. We're more wheat country out <laughs> yep. here. Yep. But- We've been planting corn for, oh, close to maybe 10 years, and I just heard this the other day, and maybe you could tell me if it's true. And uh, so far, I kind of found it's true. But a guy told me that a corn uh, uh, corn is even number of corn around. Yes. So I went out and broke some corn in half, like ours were 18 and 20. Is that true? Or is there some yep. odds and... Nope. It's always even, huh? Always even. Yep, always even. And well, if, if you find an odd one, you better, that's a million-dollar corn kernel, huh? Or uh, corn cob. I don't think you ever will. Um, there are a lot of people no. that have thought they have had that before, and when they yeah. look under a microscope, they find that there is that extra row there that basically just didn't develop, and that was due to oh. some kind of stress or injury or something like that. So, yep, you can, oh. there, there's, there's a lot of information out there talking about this, too, because every once in a while, somebody will say, oh, I got one that's odd. And then they bring it into some researcher and they look under the microscope and they go, ah, yeah, it's not odd. Now the kernels may not have showed up and, and developed, but it started out as even. Yes, it always starts even. Always even. All the corn. Oh, that's crazy. I never, <laughs> somebody told me that and I could not believe that. So I, yep. I, I'm going to have to go check this out because <laughs> we've never raised much corn, but that's pretty neat. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's interesting how some of these plants work. And you know, another thing that I, I'll just, I, I'll go back to, this is years mm-hmm. ago. My dad once went to the Chicago Board of Trade. We actually, I, I've got a first cousin who was a trader on the Board of Trade, still is today, but he lived out in Chicago mm-hmm. for 25 years. But anyway, you go to the floor of the Board of Trade. My dad went there one time and he just started asking some of these traders, you know, what do you know about corn? You're doing all this trading. What do you know about corn? Mm-hmm. Like, just for example, how many ears do you think a corn plant has? And, 
you know, one guy's like, I don't know, like four, another guy six. Yeah. Oh, I think maybe ten. <laughs> they didn't even know what they were trading, yeah. and they're trading millions of dollars of this stuff every day. So yeah, a corn plant can actually, I mean, theoretically, there are a whole bunch of ear shoots on that corn plant. So you could technically have 10 ears of corn on a plant. Uh, I mean, there are just, there are a lot of things when you actually start analyzing the plant that are pretty interesting. And very often we're just so busy on the farm. We don't even think much about it, but corn's a pretty neat plant. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, Yep. Well, I hope your harvest. Are you, have you guys started any harvest? Probably not yet, huh? Oh yeah, we're we're gonna finish up with beans probably tomorrow, and we're not quite half done with corn yet. See, we're willing to take it out wetter than a lot of people. Just I want to get it out so then I can get started with all the other stuff we have to do, fertility and everything else. So uh, how how are things coming on your farm for harvest? So we got quite a few sun. We've raised quite a few sunflowers and corn in combination, yeah. but. Uh, Sunflowers, we tried them today, and they're about 15 moisture. So I'd like to get them more down around that 12 or under. Sure. They look good, and uh, the corn, I haven't tried it yet, but I might try a, I might go hand shell some corn tonight just to kind of see where we're at. But uh, I think it's probably a, a little while off. But who knows? I mean, my, some of my early corn might be closed. Yeah, you bet. All right. Well, I don't hey, have a dryer or anything. We're not set up, so sure. I like to kind of take the corn dry if I can. Yeah, you bet. All right. Well, hey, Shannon, thanks a lot for calling today. Really appreciate it. And good luck finding that magical uh, odd row number of corn out there. If you find it, let me know. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. All right. uh, Getting back to the Ag PhD mailbag here. Uh, This one comes in. I don't have a name on this one either, but uh, it says, I'm not a farmer. I'm a gardener. I love your your videos, and I was wondering if you could help me out. I haven't had a good uh, corn stand in a couple years, so I started soil testing, found that I had 8.5 pH and no P and K, so I'm working on fixing those things. I actually put a bunch of peat moss to lower the pH. Well, that didn't help much. So I, I took your advice and put some drain tile in there, and that actually has helped get my pH down to 7. But here's my next issue is corn earworms. So what can I do for corn earworms? Well, look, a lot of times these earworms can be very problematic if you have non-BT corn. It takes just the right timing for insecticides. So you could go out there and spray with just a uh, pyrethroid insecticide. They're really inexpensive. That's probably what I would do. Uh, Let's see. And then, oh, Uh, The question here was, at what point would I do this? Is it early in the season, mid-season, late season? You you just have to scout. But a lot of times the earworms don't show up until after tasseling. Um, And then uh, soil reports. So I see a lot of soil reports on your show. Where do you get these reports from? Well, look, we, we use Midwest Labs, but there are a lot of other really good labs out there. The big thing that we always tell people is get complete soil tests. Don't just look at NP and K. That's what a lot of people will do. And if you do that, you're going to kind of miss the boat because calcium, magnesium, sulfur, they're the secondary nutrients. They're also important. And then you get to the micronutrients. I think about things like boron and copper, manganese, iron, uh, zinc. We we do fertilize with some of those um, almost every year, and it absolutely can make a difference for you. So sometimes it's not just N, P, and K. It's not just, um, you know, some oh, lack of rainfall or whatever. It's some other things that you can control. All right, uh, next we got Brian calling in from out in New York. Uh, Brian, I hear you wanted to comment a little bit on our uh, uh, corn discussion there. Yeah. Well, uh, I just always wondered how come every once in a while we find an ear 
that is red instead of yellow. Um, okay, so there there are different types of corn out there, and so let's see. I think about even when I was growing up, and you'd you'd find those. Um, I, I I don't remember what they called it exactly, but just cr- where you'd have kernels that are red and brown and every other color. A lot of times when you see red or purpling, that means that there's a buildup of sugars there. And so quite often, it's one of two things. It's either that variety was specifically bred for that and they found happened to find something just that existed in nature that, hey, that puts on a bunch of these different color kernels. Or the other thing is that plant just got severely stressed. It's just like sometimes when you see an ear on the top of the plant where the tassel should be. That's almost always a result of stress. So when sugars build up in the plant uh, because... um, because of certain stresses, I'll just put it that way. So maybe there's an issue with the ear, issue with the roots, something happened during the season, then you'll see colors get distorted. Red, purple, whatever. You can also see this sometimes like in corn leaves. You can see it in soybean leaves. You can see it in all different crops. But generally speaking, for a normal variety of corn, if it's turning some other color than yellow on that ear, we've got a problem out there. So I would try to figure out what is that problem. And if it's a one-off plant, no big deal. But if you've got this, especially in an area of the field, try to figure out, hey, do I have a drainage issue here? Is it fertility? Is it weeds, insects, diseases? What's going on to cause that? I see. Well, I just, when we used to pick corn with a picker, Every once in a while, which very seldom, you'd see, you know, one ear in the wagon, and uh, I just wondered what caused that. Yep. So, yeah, like I say, there are certain varieties that that's you know, that's just the way it is. And it's kind of the same thing with the... Uh, uh, with the cobs too. So you'll see different color cobs out there. That that's, that's more of a variety thing. But if you're seeing in a normal variety that shouldn't, generally speaking, turn yellow, you're seeing that purpling or red, reddish color. Like I said, it's typically a buildup of, uh, of sugars and it was a result of stress. Seems you mentioned the cob. If you got another minute, uh, <laughs> sure. I mean, we're we're a dairy farm here, okay. and all of a sudden, some of these salesmen are are telling us that the white cob will produce more milk. Is there is there any truth to that? That there's more <laughs> nutrition in a white cob versus a standard cob? Uh, well, that would be a new one to me. Uh, so I am not, uh, yeah, I, it, maybe that's possible. I've never heard that before. I'll have to read up on that a little bit. But, yeah, that one, I don't know. Um, where, where, where we typically see this white cob or red cob, it, it just basically has to do with breeding. And so it, it's, it's no big deal either way. We've never seen any big difference. About the only thing that I will tell you that I thought was kind of interesting with cobs, since you bring that up, is... When they were first starting to work on some of the cellulose ethanol production, and they were taking a look at, hey, how about cobs? Could we take corn cobs? So they started piling all these cobs up, and where they had piled cobs up and let them sit for six months, then for some reason, the next crop wasn't very good in that area. So something apparently was coming out of those cobs. I don't know what it is. Don't know any more than that, but I'm just I'm throwing that out there because I thought that was interesting. Hey, Brian, we got to run, but I uh, really appreciate the phone call. All right, well, before we go, just want to say thanks to our production staff. My sister Janelle was running the controls today. Appreciate that. Uh, Thanks to everybody who called in and everybody who wrote in with questions. We appreciate you, and thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.